Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Greg Barnes. If you're watching on YouTube, we've got a special guest joining us today. But first, I want to take a second to talk about Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyTShirt.com. Certainly great sponsors of this podcast and great friends of Inside Carolina and every Carolina fan out there. Go visit them on Franklin Street if you're in town or go to shop online at johnnytshirt.com. And if you're a premium subscriber to Inside Carolina Message Boards, you get 10% off your order. Take care of them. They take care of us. Let me welcome in Mr. Daz Newsom, former North Carolina wide receiver. Daz, thanks for joining us, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Want to uh, get you in here. I know you got a lot of work going on. You, you kind of prepping for the future. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing to get ready for this NFL draft coming up in a few weeks. Well, you know, we're doing, we're doing, we're working on the combine and stuff. We're doing stuff like getting ready for the 40, running routes, you know, just fast, explosive stuff, lifting weights and all that. So you, uh, you, Finished your career at Carolina. Let me ask you a question before I get into too much further. Did you ever consider coming back to Carolina for another year when the NCAA gave that to you guys? Um, um not not really, but if if I mean if something would have went completely wrong, then I, I definitely would have came back. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. You got Tamon Fox and Hopper coming back and all, and I didn't know if that applied to you some, but it's time to move on. Let's uh let's talk a little bit about this NFL draft prep. You got invited to the combine, even though it's virtual. Okay. Um, what does that mean for a guy like you trying to make his name? I mean, I always watch the NFL draft probably every year since I was probably ten years old. So for me to be here is definitely a true blessing. Daz, so when the Orange Bowl ends, kind of I think a lot of people with with COVID being such a a, a cloud over the football season and even over the NFL draft, you know, with the, with the combine being virtual this year, where did you go? I mean, what, what's the first steps for you to kind of begin your journey in terms of prepping for the NFL draft? Um, so we had a game in, in Miami and we stayed in Fort Lauderdale. So, and I'm, I so happened to just so happen to be training in Fort Lauderdale. So I honestly, I didn't leave. I've been here since December 29th, since the whole team got here. So I've been here for a while. And my first steps, and I took I took the weekend off, and then I got right to it on Monday, that Monday. Right. So our game was what, January the 2nd? Yep. yep. And then I started training January the 4th. So what's what's been the focus for you in terms of um, kind of getting ready? Is it how, – how much of it is the, the athletic uh, strength and training, strength and conditioning part of it? How much of it is – you know, preparing for interviews, all those things, because it's one thing to go into a room and sit down with team personnel right. and have a conversation. 
it's completely different doing it like we're doing it here over Zoom. Yeah, you're right. So um, with the with the training, I'm it's really just I'm trying to get my start right. Make sure make sure I'm, I'm on a drug machine every day. Make sure my routes are polished and stuff like that. But as far as the the talking to the teams, um, actually my agents had they had they had hired me a guy, and and he was he was excellent. He got me ready for all the questions that they were gonna ask me. Everything we went over, it really hasn't been nothing that he didn't go over that they asked me. So so luckily I had that guy. And so he, on that, would, he would definitely he was nice. He he's helped you out. Let me ask you about your uh, agent team. Uh, I hear that you've got a team of agents. That's a a whole group of ladies, whole group of women that are together. Sure. Tell, tell me what that means to you to be able to be a part of that. Um, it's actually nice. I got Nicole Lynn and Kate Farrar, and I love them. I mean, they help me out, but they help me out a lot. Yeah, that's a it's pretty cool story there. I know Nicole Lynn is big time in the industry now and, and done a lot of good things. Um, and we need more of that. And young guys like you going with them certainly helps. And it helps that you have a young daughter as well. And I know that nothing like having a child. Speak to that. What has she meant to you over uh, the course of her life? You talking about you talking about my daughter? Your daughter. Oh, she means a lot to me. I mean. I'm, I'm grinding now for her. So it's like, you got to keep working. So uh, did that, when we're talking about that extra senior year, did that, was that some motivation for you to get on to the league and to make a check so you could support her? And most definitely. It most definitely wasn't. That's why I put, I put my name, I mean, I put her name on my neck. My tattoo on my neck says Elena. So, Daz, your daughter, correct me if I'm wrong, but she's, she's not quite three, but she's pushing three. Is that correct? Yeah, it's her birthday, June 29th. Okay. So I've got a I've got a daughter who just turned 10. Um, so I, yeah. I can speak from experience. When they're pushing three years old, they are they are full of personality. Um what, what does she is she is she in Fort Lauderdale with you? Nah, she she back home. So you're you're spending a lot of time on what FaceTime or Zoom or whatever yeah, it is. A, yeah, but she, she she definitely flies around. And she's she very active. So you were you were in school when she was born. Uh, that's a big step as as a man to to kind of take that that step forward as as a father. Was was that kind of a defining moment for you to be like, all right, this like I've, I'm in the big time now. I really need to kind of bear down and make sure I do everything I need to do to be able to to set things in motion to take care of her and to make sure I give myself an opportunity at the next level. Well, definitely, it's it definitely it's definitely it's a little rough. It's a little. I would say the roughest part is really just being the way. You just feel like you're missing. You just feel like you're missing out on stuff, or missing her go through things. But her her her, her mom does a really good job bringing her up. So, and we are we real close. So, I I would just say just not being there for most for the most part, and just missing things. And that's that's probably the roughest thing. It's definitely tough, but stuff like this Zoom and FaceTime and all that help. Um, so I know I know you guys are able to stay as close as possible. Let me take you back um, to your high school days from Hampton, uh, Ronald Curry territory. I guess Mike yeah. Vick, and Curry, and Iverson, and all those guys come from there. What was it mm-hmm. like? What was it like growing up in Hampton, uh, playing football, where you got all these guys that, uh, even though Iverson played in NBA, we all know he played some football in high school. What was that like? Um, I mean, really, just hearing about those guys and. And like I was on the sideline, my dad was a coach from my high school at Hampton High. 
excuse me, I was on the sideline since I was like seven years old. I've been a water boy for since I was seven, all the way to about seventh grade. And and I really just picked up my game from like all of them. Like just when I was first I on the sideline, Tyler Taylor was in high school still. I remember when they won a state championship. And and I really just picked up my game from probably like all the people I've seen around my area. Like we we had some good people going through. We had him, well from what I, what I can remember, we had Tyrod, we had dude named Tyree Lee. He went if he went to a fevers though, we had dude named Tony Pittman, a lot of guys, my brother David Wofford. And Daz, you mentioned Tyrod, you mentioned your brother. Your brother, of course, played DB at Virginia Tech. Okay. Your, your dad played defense at Virginia Tech. So I remember looking at your profile when your name first popped up when you were in high school, thinking, I mean, this kid's going to Virginia Tech. How in the world did you end up in Chapel Hill? Um, it was it was really the the it was a family atmosphere at Chapel Hill. I mean Virginia Tech was too, but uh, I, I just wanted to start some of my own. It's interesting, you know, Carolina, of course, now with Dre Belize getting that pipeline from that area down to North Carolina. But I, I know that uh, Virginia Tech was not too pleased to see you come this way. But I want to ask you about those high school days. I mean, I guess Ronald Curry and Mike Vick in high school were a little before your time. But Virginia, Hampton Roads area legend, who's the best? Which of those guys is the best that people talk about? The I heard I heard the best with Ronald Carey. I, I heard he was the best, but but the best I didn't see. Um, let me think. Let me, it, it was some tough ones. I, I would have to say between between um Tyree Lee. It was a dude now, and, and this is a dude named Todd Nolan. Yeah, yeah, I probably never heard of him, but <laughs> but he was tough. He, he was a receiver. He he was tough. So. Looking at your recruiting profile, and I remember it, like Greg said, but the first thing it says is, though he projects as a defensive back, he was offensive player of the year for the Daily Press. When did you know that you were going to change sides of the ball from defense to offense at Carolina? Um, I thought, honestly, I thought I was going to play it. I was going to play both, but I thought I was going to start at DB and then, like, make my way over the receiver. But, but Fedor called me, like, a week before I got there, and he he asked me that I still want to play receiver, and I said I was like, of course. And he said, all right, we're gonna start you at receiver, and then once you learn once you learn receiver, we're gonna move you to defense. But I just, I just never seen defense. <laughs> and you return kicks, you return a lot of punts, and I think yeah. I think the versatility is what um, NFL teams, especially, are looking for because if they can get two guys in one, a, a punt returner and a receiver in one. They, they can save some money and have roster space for other stuff. How, how has the special teams played in um, to your looking forward to this this NFL draft and to these teams the way they look at you? Uh, I think it played in, plays into a big factor. Special teams, punt return probably is my, my favorite thing. So I love to do it. I really love special teams, period. Kickoff was really my favorite one. Before, before, the, before I was on punt return team, I was a little hurt when they took me off the kickoff team. Because I played kickoff team my freshman and sophomore year, and they had took me off it my junior year. But but when he took me off, I was like, come on, coach, I'm trying to get up there. But I guess, I guess they didn't want me on all of them. What does it take to be a good returner? Because I don't think anybody would say it out loud, but I don't play football, so I can say it. The idea of, of trying to catch a ball when you've got grown men running as fast as they can to take your head off, that seems a little daunting. Um, what – 
what does it take to be a good returner? And, and does, those, does that worry you at all when you see people coming at you? Or, do you, or are you just specifically looking for, for gaps and holes to try to try to make a return? I think I think you got to be fearless and confident. And, and usually, usually I look both. I look at the ball. I look at the pickup at the ball and look down and see where they get. And but if if I realize I can't do that, then I really look watching my two gunners because I usually I know if my two gunners win, then I you know usually we got a return because usually the people on the front line they usually don't get there before the gunners do. So I know if the gunners I know if the gunners get held up for at least two seconds, I know we got a return. And then I know if the ball is kicked over my head, I know for sure we got a return. Then the majority of your your reps, uh, at least last year and uh, for most of your career, have been at the slot position. Uh, you talked about when, when Larry Fedora was kind of trying to figure out where to put you. Once the decision was made to, to put you at receiver, were you always a slot guy? Yeah, that's right. I, I started off in the slot. I, well, I was I started off in the slot, and I, I guess I, I just never moved from it. Yeah. Where do you think you have grown as a player over the last four years in terms of fine-tuning that position and, and you know, maybe working on route running and those types of things? I would say most definitely was recognizing coverages. Because my freshman year, I really I thought I knew coverages, but I didn't really know them when they got the moving in my face. So so really just like we got like we had certain routes that was we had certain routes that would change depending on what coverage and that was really just the biggest part. Just learning the coverages and sometimes most of the time I know it are pre snap, but sometimes teams are good at disguising. So so you, you gotta pick it up on the run. And I know it can be challenging you know, when you have a, a new offensive coordinator come in. I, I know it wasn't a massive shift from what Larry was doing to what Phil Longo has done. But in hindsight, was that beneficial, the ability to kind of go through a little bit of a scheme change to understand what, what's required of you? Yes, I, I think so. I think so because because teams – I mean, teams, they could have watched Longo's old offense and, and recognize what we're doing, but I just feel like – I just feel like they didn't know what we was doing. And like they, like they, they never seen me run those routes, so they had to, so they really didn't know what to go off of off him. And one other thing I wanted to, to hit on here, uh, you, you're you stand fifth uh, in UNC record book in terms of receiving yards all time. You're tied for seventh in, in receiving touchdowns. So obviously a great year, a great career in Chapel Hill. Uh, we pay a lot of attention to Pro Football Focus, which does a lot of advanced metrics. And one thing that stood out about your play. I guess it was in 2019 that I've always kind of wanted to ask you, and I haven't, so I'm going to ask you now. Uh, you led the the nation uh, in terms of slot receivers with 13 deep ball catches, and they, they term that as your 20 plus yards as, as a catch. Uh, is that is that kind of speak to your ability and your speed uh, to not just be strictly a slot guy, but as somebody who has enough speed who can do a lot of damage down the field as well? Yes, sir. I most definitely win on deep balls. You, whatever they ask me to do, I can do it. You want me to win on deep balls, I can do it. You want me to win on short routes, I can do it. Medium routes, it doesn't matter. So looking at your sophomore season, of course, you played a lot your true freshman year, but your sophomore year at Carolina in 18, you started to break out. And I think the Syracuse game maybe was the, you kind of got your punt return. You had a, you know, a long catch in that game. Is that when you started feeling like – man, I can do this. Uh, I mean, this college stuff is – I got it. It, it. Was it during that Syracuse game and during that week and early in that season that it started clicking for you? Yeah, I, I would say so. I would say really, really that summer. I would say really that summer, we're, we're, like coming in and coming in the camp. The camp that I think that's when I started to realize I, I can really do this. 
but 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 then in the game when I when I seen that it, it all was put together, I'm like, okay, here we go. And so you that sophomore year, you got 44 catches for 500 and some change yards, and, and then it turns over. Larry Fedora is out. Um, first of all, talk about that as a player. You've been there for two years. You got these guys you know. I mean, I think Larry Porter was your primary recruiter or one of your yeah. primary recruiters. And all these guys are gone. They, they flip. Of course, a couple of guys stayed. But Mac Brown comes in. Talk about that for Carolina fans. What was that like from inside when Mac Brown came in? Um, it, it was very different. It was just – it was like more of a more of a family atmosphere. It was like we wanted to be in the stadium a lot, and like Mac really, he really came in and, and said he was gonna do stuff, and he really did it. I think I think that's how he got us all. He, he said he can get us an indoor. He got it within a year. He said he, he said he's gonna get us new games in the players' lounge. He got it immediately. He said he's gonna get us better food. He got that immediately. So I think it was really just him doing what he said he was gonna do. I think that's how he got. That's what made everybody buy in. I think really that was the, that was the only difference from from last year's team. I mean, from Fedora than Mac. I think everybody I just feel like everybody won't bought in when Fedora was here, but when Mac got here, everybody bought in. Did Did Mac show y'all that ring and, and tell you? Uh, <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. I got a championship ring. Did Did that play a role in you guys buying into him? I don't. I can't remember if he showed us the ring, but he just he just said he, the first day he said he, he said he, he wanted one now. He said he said we're not doing a rebuilding year. He, uh, yeah, he comes in with a lot of weight as far as uh, accomplishments and all that. And it was pretty clear you guys bought in, especially early with the South Carolina game uh, oh. that first year. What was the difference? Um, and I don't want to call any names. You, you did not have a Sam Howe your first two years. What was that like? Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you got a freshman quarterback coming in that everybody's talking about but still hadn't done it as a receiver – What's that mindset when you got a freshman quarterback stepping on the field for the first time? I mean, I really didn't know what to expect from him because in camp, in camp, like when he first got here, he he was definitely throwing balls that the quarterbacks that was here before wasn't. I remember my first seven on seven with him, or our first OTAs. We were, we were doing we were doing OTAs and stuff, and and I ran a little crossing route, and it was a it was two people, and it was a little window, and like I I quoted before, they never threw that ball. So I honestly wasn't expecting to get the ball, but he threw it. He put it in there. I'm like, oh, I'm like, okay, he, he, might, he might be the real deal. <laughs> but then, but like, but like in the game, I mean, but like going through camp, like, like he, he was kind of, we was kind of missing on a lot of deep balls, but, but like it would make me, it, I think it was maybe because like he wasn't starting every day. Like, like, like they would switch the starters out. So I think that he had to get a feel for us, but like we was kind of missing on, on some deep balls, but he got into the game. He started. He started clicking, and then, and then after after that, when they didn't do starting practice, he started clicking too. So the the South Carolina game, we've debated on this podcast before how big a win that was for the program. Um, but Miami and Keenan Stadium. I've been going to Carolina games since long before you were born, <laughs> long before Greg Barnes was born too. So uh, I can tell you that I haven't seen too many games like that. What was Describe that atmosphere for us. Not talking about the last play yet, but describe the atmosphere in Keenan Stadium uh, yeah. that Miami night. Yeah, see, because um, I've been here for two years. I mean, I've been, I've been here two years before then, and I, I never seen a stadium full. So the first time I actually seen a stadium packed, and it was a night game. I'm just like, when we first walked there, I'm like, oh yeah, this is gonna be live. <laughs> this is gonna be live for sure. 
Then describe yeah. the ending there. Describe the end of that Miami game. It's crazy because I didn't even know it was that loud until until um right after that. I watched the game right after not the game, but somebody sent me the clip of the little well when I scored a touchdown and like the actual crowd sound. And I, I played it on my car. And when I played it on my car, I, I jumped because it, it, it turned up so loud. But it was loud. I didn't really hear it when I was going in it. Cause I just I tried I tried to celebrate with my teammates and, and my new my friends like my friends had got into the student section, so so I, so I went I, I went right over there where it was at. Daz, there, I think fans uh, watch so many games over the years that there are certain moments that just stick in your mind. Um, you know, there, there's a, there's a lot uh, dating back to the Vince Dooley days for for a lot of fans. Um, your catch, you know. On, on, First and 10, down 25-20, minute 10 left. Uh, the little out route you ran for that, that touchdown catch from Sam Howell I think is, is up there in terms of moments for, for a lot of the fans. Um, that was one of, let's see, one of 188 catches that you had in your North Carolina career. Are there any other catches that stand out to you as being like, man, that was really cool that I was able to, to pull that catch in? Um, yeah, I would say that one. In, and I would say the one versus Duke. It was like it was like a it was like a fourth and who was it? Fourth and four. It was a fourth and four. And I caught a crossing route and I thought I was gonna steal the game, but but my man Von said, my man Von said he, he had an accident. <laughs> well, I can tell you that Miami clip, and I know what clip you're talking about on Twitter that has it from the sideline right there. Yeah. Right. It, it is uh I remember my son sitting beside me. Um, watching it in Keenan Stadium, he was going, Daz is open, Daz is open, <laughs> and he hits you. So that was pretty cool to uh, to see that game. That season, uh, you guys go to the Military Bowl, y'all tear up Temple in the Military Bowl. You and Diami have this 1,000-yard season, both of you, um, okay. which is – I doubt we'll see that anymore as far as Carolina receivers and then Mike and Javante's yards. But you come into your senior year – You've already had a thousand yard season. You've already had a ton of catches. What are you, what are you working on as a rising senior to get ready for last season? What What was your number one goal then? Um, really, really limit the drops and really, really to stop catching my body. And I like, I, and like, I knew I was going to be double teamed a lot because I'm in the slot, and and I definitely did get double teamed a lot more than I did from the year before. So I, so I was really just trying, trying to help. I mean, I really was trying to go go to the OC and just think a way that we could beat the double team. Early in the year, I, mean, I think you only had six targets the first two games. And uh, yeah. Mac, Mac talked about it quite a bit. Uh, and fans were like, well, what are they going to do to get Daz involved? But really after the BC game, uh, you had some really good games there and, and continue that. What changed for you after the BC game? Honestly, honestly, just really just, just keeping my head down and just working. I just couldn't let it upset me. I mean, it was a little frustrating, but I just had to keep working. I was going to say, was it tough to come off a thousand yard season and then you're not getting the ball? I mean, you got a quarterback like Howell that slings it all over the field, but you weren't getting those touches. I mean, what's going on in your mind? You said it was frustrating, but I mean, I it's got to be right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's frustrating for sure, but 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 we was winning, so it was like. Let's just keep going. I know that I know the ball gonna find me eventually. 
I'm just keep getting open. So that season progresses. Uh, Javante and Mike go nuts. Um, a big part of them having success was the wide receivers blocking. And, you know, most people talk about uh, Bo and Diami blocking on the outside, but you did your fair share. Um, what, you know, talk about that part of your game and how that can translate to the next level because you got to do it in the league too. Yeah, most definitely. Well, I definitely, I, I love to block. I love helping my teammates get open. And I, I really think it was Gunter Brewer, Coach Brewer, who, who helped me, who helped me get right to block it. That, that was something he, he emphasized a lot. You weren't going to play for Brewer if you didn't know to block. So, so Brewer really got me right in, and MJ Stewart. MJ Stewart, he was hard to block. He was definitely hard to block. When I, when I first got here, I was struggling to block him. So I, I, I feel like he got me better as a blocker too. That's a good person to learn from. He's he's doing a making a fair living in the uh, NFL right now. Almost definitely. So, and I want to talk about the end of the season, but speak to that some more about guys that have made a difference for you at Carolina while you were at Carolina. We always hear about Carolina basketball and how guys come back and they help the young guys and, and they pay it back and all that. Who in the Carolina program um, was that guy for you? For Daz um, while you were there, I would, I would say, that, well, you say who who came who got me better? Who helped you improve while you were at Carolina? Um, I would say it was, it was a it was a bit of everybody. It was a bit of my my teammates. It was a, it was definitely MJ for sure. MJ got me right. He got me right for sure. It was, with my beginning years, and then I learned from Pro from Austin Pro. Just seeing him, he he had the, he probably had the best roster I've seen since I've been in Carolina. And then really just going against my teammates every day. Let me ask you about the Orange Bowl. And if you don't want to answer, you don't have to, but I I gotta ask it. And I remember your quote, and it may have been to Greg Barnes's question about opting out. You said, I'm a ball player, I'm gonna play. Was there any doubt that you were playing in the Orange Bowl? No, no, no doubt. I was definitely playing for all the way. So let me ask the other question. And again, I, I don't want you to speak ill of people, but I do would like to know. What was the mindset from the guys on the team when Javante and Mike and Diami and Chaz all opted out? Which, hey, I can't necessarily say I blame them, but I didn't play. You played with them all year long, all career long. Um, what was that thought when that happened? Um, I mean, I, I knew why they were doing it. So, I, I mean, I, I respected the decision. I had no hard feelings about it. I knew I was going to play regardless. So, I couldn't, well, I couldn't really worry about what they was doing. You just had to keep working. Did it – I think it provided you an opportunity to be more of a leader in the Orange Bowl. Is that fair? Most definitely. And then gave you an opportunity to to play without those guys' shadows because, I mean, you know, you're going out there against Texas A&M. You're the guy. Everybody else is younger. Just talk about the mindset going into that ball game. As a senior, it's your last game going in. What's going on in your head getting ready for that one? Well, I, I was ready for the loud ready for the spotlight. I would really, I really just want to go out with a bang and help my team, just help my team go come out with a with a win. But it didn't go that way. So, but it, it, it was still, it was still a good game though. That, that's the biggest stage that the North Carolina football has ever played on. I mean, did, did that resonate with you that hey, you know, this is somewhere this program has has never been? Yeah, I most definitely said that in the interview um, that we had, that I had when I. Did the press conference for the Orange Bowl? I was telling Mister, it's the biggest, it's the biggest bowl game that we ever been to. When well, especially that I've been to, I was here, so there was no way I, I'm not playing. 
What did Mac Brown say to you guys before you walk out on the field for the opening kickoff? I did not remember. <laughs> I did not remember that. So you remind me of those those guys I coach. I'm like, what did I tell you? They're like, I, I don't remember. <laughs> I forgot what he said when we went up. But okay, so so the the game, you know, the game's tight. It kind of gets away from y'all at the end. Um, you see it slipping away, and you're a senior. Can you tell us what's going on in your mind as those those moments are ticking off there at the end of that ball game? I'm really, really, really. That, that's when all my brothers just start coming up and hug me and, and telling me, telling me that, that they love me and all that. And so, was saying, I think Sam was the first one to come up to me, and he, he was just telling me it was a joy playing with me, and he, just saying he, he can't, he can't wait, he can't wait to meet, meet me at the top and stuff like that. But it, it was a sad moment for sure. Just know I'm never gonna play with him again. Yeah. Do you think about that a lot? as you get ready for the NFL or is it just something that maybe you probably sit down and think about it down the road? I don't think about it a lot unless I, unless I see a clip of that game or something like that. Right. So That's, go ahead, go ahead Greg. No, I was going to, I was going to redirect a little bit. Um, as a, as a sports writer, I, I'm always trying to find kind of random weird stories that are interesting. And, and you, you possess one of those, one of those stories, um, Lonnie Galloway talked to us. I, I know what you're about to talk about. You're about to talk about the contact, huh? I, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to set the stage for, for the listeners who may not know the story because I think it's great. Um, you may not agree with me, but I'm, I want to share. Uh, Lonnie, Lonnie told us after uh, spring ball 2019 that he was watching Daz and Sam. I guess it was a spring game and watching a throw from, from Sam to Daz. And it hits Daz in, in the hands, but it kind of – goes through his hands and pops him in the chest. And Lonnie's like, well, it's not like he, he dropped the pass. It was like he, he wasn't ready for it, even though he was looking at it. And after, after the game, uh, Lonnie, this is from Lonnie's side. Lonnie said he, he asked you if you could see all right. And your response was, yeah, I see fine. But then yeah. they, had you, they had you checked. And what, what took place from there? It, it, the, 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 he told me I needed context. So I was like, I didn't even know. I always thought I could see. I thought that's how everybody see. Was there a big difference for you when you got the contacts? Yeah, it was for sure. The I know there were some some drops that were some some issues for for a lot of guys on the team, uh, but you you really limited uh, and kind of mitigated those issues as your career progressed. Did the contacts play a big role in that, or was that more kind of technique and focus and those types of things? Yeah, the contact would play 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 the uh, play part of a role, but but it's really it's really focused on them too. You really got to focus on the ball and really just make sure you look it in. Because you know, a lot of times when you get when you get the, the flying around in the game, you catching the ball and looking at the defender. So it's really just focus on the ball before you get to looking away. What was the? You talked about Gunnar Brewer, and we know his reputation is is great in terms of being a wide receiver coach. When Lonnie came in. Uh, you, each coach does things differently. What are some things where he really helped you prepare for, for this next step you're about to take? You talking about Galloway? Yes. Yeah, Galloway, Galloway was really one of the ones who, who got me who got me right with the coverages. I mean, I mean, me, me and him, we real cool. That's most definitely my guy. But I think he really got me right with it. just learning coverages, just knowing knowing which is what, and knowing who to watch so I can. See the um, see the cars from a pre snap. 
So we're moving towards the draft. It's in April. You got Carolina's Pro Day here in Chapel Hill. What day is that, Greg? Is it's, it uh, March 29th? March 29th. Daz, are you coming up here to take part in that? And if so, um, what are you looking forward to showing the Pro Scouts the most? Um, I really want to show them my speed, and I really want to show them that I can do it all. Is there – I'll ask this. I mean, I know the answer. The answer from every player we've ever talked to is, I just want to play. It doesn't matter with what team. But what team did you grow up thinking about in the NFL and what and where you would love to go? In a perfect world, where would you go play in the NFL? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm going to tell you my, my favorite team before. My favorite team before it was with the San Diego or they the Los Angeles Chargers now. That was my favorite team growing up because LaDainian Thomas was my favorite player. But, but you know, I don't, I don't really care where I go. I would go anywhere. I, I, you mentioned the Chargers. I was watching – I guess they were on Hard Knocks. They had the Rams and the Chargers. And their wide receiver coach said, if you don't block, you don't play. Well, and you said nice. that earlier. So, that's funny that you mentioned that. What, uh, what's Daz Newsome do for fun these days? I know you're doing a lot of work to get ready for the NFL, but what's, what's fun for Daz? It's fun for me. Um, I play the game. I play Call of Duty. I'm on the K. I'm on Madden. I ain't been on 2K lately, but I've been. I be on Madden. I be on Call of Duty. What Other system you got? I got. I got the P4. I'm gonna get the P5 soon. Okay, cause I got my kids is down there saying, "What's he play? What's he play?" Nah, they, I, I, they want a piece of you, so they and all that stuff. What uh, we're about to wrap up. Um, tell me about. Tell me something that you want to pass along to Carolina fans and then what you can pass along to the players that are coming up behind you guys as they get ready for this Carolina season. I would say – who would I pass along? I would say really don't let nobody knock you down. Whatever anybody say, coaches, teammates, just keep doing what you've been doing to get here. And, Daz, before before we let you go, I, I did want to ask, uh, I know there was a report last week that the Buffalo had expressed interest in you. Um, I know there's a lot of a lot of conversations going on. You're, you're projected to be drafted, so that makes sense. Um, can you share anybody else that you've you've had conversations with? You just pre- I, 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 don't, I don't think I'm supposed to. I don't think okay. I'm supposed to do that. All right. Understood. They, they, don't want you to, they don't want you to spoil it and then somebody else jump up in front of them. But <laughs> it's good that you're having conversations. I'll tell you, you've been fun to watch. I know Greg will say you've been fun to cover um, during your four years at Carolina and um, coming out of the Virginia area. I want to take a second to appreciate it, to share my appreciation for you coming on and joining us. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man, anytime. When you're in the league one day, you come back to Inside Carolina and you tell us all about it, and uh, we'll get it out there for you. But Greg Barnes, I'm Tommy Ashley. That's Daz Newsom. This has been the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Thank you, Daz. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by johnnytshirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.